Welcome to episode two of the WIMP podcast, White Man of Privilege, with me, Jesse Draper. This episode is going to be titled Weakness in Strength, and we'll get to that uh, shortly. Um, thank you to all of you who listened to the first episode. Um, I'm still having some issues getting it to push out to Google Podcasts, um, and I'm looking at some other platforms. But for right now, you can still get me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at the website anchor.fm. So a lot to go through this week. Actually, I mean, it seems like a lot to me, uh, but it's actually going to be a shorter episode. I don't have um, a guest this week because I have something that, um, you know, I just want to talk through that kind of came up. And so um, if you remember we talked about uh, some segments that I'm going to be doing this week. Uh, I mean, in this podcast. Uh, and so um, we got five or six of those. Some of them are going to blend together today. So, for example, the uh, what have we learned this week segment and the what or who needs a platform segment are going to kind of dovetail into each other this week and just be kind of one mega segment. Uh, although I mean mega just in terms of content, not time. So, um, and then, like I said, there's no guest this week. So I'm going to be riffing on something that um, I had a lot of, gave a lot of thought to uh, as I was driving from Michigan to Illinois over the weekend for the funeral of a dear friend's mother. Um, The mother was a dear friend as well. Um, That was a real sobering uh, weekend, but it gave me some time to catch up with some old friends and to um, think on some of the things that I want to go through in this podcast. So, episode two weakness and strength. We are off to the races. Uh, just a reminder if you want to reach out to me again, I really want this to be a community based podcast. Community learning is the way to go. I don't have all the answers and I don't have to. Uh, you can reach me at wimp.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find my Instagram uh, page for the site. I believe it's just um, at wimp underscore podcast. Uh, and then finally, if you go to the anchor.fm site, um, same thing, anchor.fm slash wimp, I think, dash podcast. Uh, there's a button there where you can send me an audio message. Um, If you decide to do that, please just make sure that you let me know that you'd like to hear, that you'd like others to hear you uh, in an upcoming uh, podcast before I, uh, you know, actually commit you to tape, uh, as it were. So we're off to a great start here. Uh, My voice is a bit shredded. I've got my computer fan humming. Hopefully that doesn't come through. And I've got my wonderful cat jazz blowing in the hallway. And by blowing, I mean just the incessant meow. Uh, of a tomcat who is missing my daughter. So coffee sip. And here we go. Segment one. What have we learned this week? So uh, I was, uh, I I occasionally, I I pretty much try to stay off of, you know, cable news, uh, the internet, that kind of thing. Um, But I do, I'll admit, you know, I'm, I'm unplugged from social media. Um, with the exception of an Instagram account for my personal use, and then obviously the Wimp Podcast Instagram account. 
but I jumped ship uh, from Facebook and Twitter uh, just because of the toxicity that I just didn't want to deal with and mentioned a bit of that in the last episode. So I won't beat that dead horse. Um, but I do in the morning, I like to just check the headlines to see what's going on. And um, something I may, may not have mentioned in episode one, uh, I am a sports fan. Uh, I follow Major League Baseball and uh, European soccer. Uh, the Premier League in England being the one that I'm most fascinated with. But uh, Major League Baseball has a soft spot in my heart. Uh, I grew up rooting for the Cubbies. Uh, some members of my family can also find room in their hearts for the White Sox. I think they're friggin' crazy. Uh, for a while there, I had, uh, you know, the um, avatar for one of my, uh, you know, whatever social media outlets was the picture of uh, Mike Barrett punching out AJ Przinsky at the plate. And that was just, that was a good time to be a Cubs fan. Well, Cubs, the team was terrible, but at least we knew who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. Um, so anyway, uh, in the mornings, I, I check in, uh, do, do a quick scan of CNN, uh, the app on my iPhone uh, and NPR. Um, I, I Granted, CNN is is certainly not, uh, unbiased. Uh, there's a uh, a left lean to that outlet. I, I would say it's a soft left lean. It's not like um, MSNBC, you know, back in the day that I used to tune into as a counterweight to Fox News. And, you know, I mean, it was basically exactly that, a counterweight to Fox News. Um, and just as blowhard uh, coming from the opposite direction. Uh, Rachel Maddow fans out there, uh, blessings to you. Um, but anyway, so I kind of peruse the headlines. I try and, you know, be savvy to, you know, not get sucked into partisan, um, storytelling, but this is one, uh, a story I came across today. Um, you know, hit the, uh, hit the sports fan in me right off the top of the bat, especially baseball. It was an article about Pete Rose. Uh, and so listener, uh, if you are not a, uh, Major League Baseball fan. Uh, odds are you still have some idea of Pete Rose as a popular figure in American culture. Pete Rose uh, has been banned from Major League Baseball. He was banned in 1989 uh, for betting on baseball games while he was the player manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Um, but just eight years before that, sorry, nine years before that, Pete was a member of the Philadelphia Phillies, and they are um, celebrating this year uh, their World Series winning team, the 1980s Phillies. Uh, and so uh, 81-year-old Pete Rose uh, returned. Uh, well, it was a new stadium, so he, he ventured into the new uh, Phillies stadium, uh, which is, you know, I actually visited that. I think it's called Citizens Bank Park. Um, I visited that with my brother on a short ballpark tour out east. We hit the new Yankee Stadium, atrocious. It's like Costco with baseball diamonds on the inside. Uh, the Philadelphia Park, very nice. And Pittsburgh, which if you are a baseball fan and you haven't gone to Pittsburgh Park, you absolutely need to do that. Um, anyway, so Pete got called back to Citizens Bank Park uh, this past Sunday. That would be August 7th. Uh, to celebrate with the 1980 Phillies. And so the story on CNN 
brings this up. It mentions it. You know, it's the first thing to say. This is the first time that 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 Pete has uh, returned to the field in Philadelphia since receiving his uh, 1989 lifetime ban. Uh, and as he walked in, Pete was received with a standing ovation. Okay, so uh, as an American cultural historian, sports historian, um, Pete Rose is one of the guys that put a black eye on America's game, right? Uh, you might be familiar with the 1919 Black Sox, another reason to hate the White Sox, uh, who threw the World Series uh, because of uh, bribes that they had received. Shoeless Joe Jackson immortalized in the movie Field of Dreams, starring Kevin Costner in the 1980s, right about when Pete Rose was getting his butt booted out of baseball. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Pete has been banned. He is a a gambler. He dirtied the game, right? Uh, we had the shortly thereafter steroid scandal, uh, scandal in the 1990s. We had the strike in 94. So baseball is obviously a, a troubled sport, uh, but it it mirrors uh, American culture quite a bit if you think about that um, in that way. So, so Pete, this uh, prodigal son returns to a standing ovation. Uh, and as he, um, you know, before the game, he's asked by, or this is where the article's going for CNN, before the game, he's asked by Philadelphia Inquirer writer Alex Coffey, about a 2017 sexual assault uh, allegations um, about whether and then about whether or not his presence at the park, uh, you know, sends a negative message to women. So, you know, here we are post Me Too movement uh, in the United States, uh, an era when for better or worse, depending on where you uh, your cultural affinities lie, we are more woke uh, in this country. And uh, so, you know, hey, Pete, you know, aside from the fact that uh, you, you were banned from the game uh, for, for betting on it as a player and a manager, betting on your own team, right? Uh, you know, what is it? What kind of message does this send that, that, you know, you have these sexual allegations? And Pete's, you know, says he's not, he's not, I don't have time to talk about this. It was 55 years ago, babe. So it should be noted that Alex, uh, coffee the reporter is a female so you know nothing like a little misogyny uh to lead off uh this this line of questioning about sexual allegations um and you know in that we we see uh you know what pete is is kind of referring to here is the statute of limitations right so this if this was 55 years ago babe uh then you know time heals all wounds you know, one of those great American uh, myths that we hold where, you know, slavery wasn't so bad, right? We're getting better. Uh, you know, we were lynching people less than 100 years ago, but, you know, whatever. Time heals all wounds and we carry on. Um, so there's that, which is moderately problem problematic. Now, we Pete Rose, it should be also, uh, you know, just for the context of the of the podcast, Pete is a white uh, privileged, certainly male American. Um, and the sexual allegations that they were referring to, uh, where, where Pete was charged with having sex with underage girls. 
uh, and in this this case from 2017, which was a which was a defamation case against the person who was trying to bring this to light, Pete basically said, you know, hey, you know, this was all taken care of, and it was it wasn't a big deal because in the court documents, Rose admitted that he had sex with the female, but claimed that, you know, and I'm quoting from the CNN article here, and um, just to be on the up and up, let's give credit to Wayne Sterling of CNN who did the reporting uh, on this article. Um, but he, uh, you know, he says, you know, who cares what happened 50 years ago? He says this to the reporter and in the court documents, he says, uh, you know, that this, this shouldn't be a, a thing because it didn't happen until 1975 when the girl in question was 16 years of age when he was playing for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, the suit would later be dismissed after both sides reached an agreement. Um, you know, there's one of those things when you're a white man of privilege and you get, uh, even though you're banned from baseball, you get paid hundreds uh, maybe thousands of dollars to autograph baseballs. Um, this was dismissed. And uh, it should be noted uh, that in Ohio, the uh, age for that is considered consent, the age of consent in Ohio is 16 years old. And so according to Pete, if this indeed happens in 1975 and she's 16 years old, you know, the, the law covers him right it was legal uh 16 years of age i have a 17 year old daughter uh i have a 15 year old son i can tell you right now that that consent uh for somebody of that age is a very that's a very generous uh uh assessment of their ability to make good decisions particularly uh something along these lines uh you know having sex with a, with an older member of the opposite sex. Uh, and so I was curious as I read that, you know, who, who sets this, this age limit in Cincinnati, right? Who gets to decide by law that 16 years of age is, you know, is legal is this is when, and, and let's be frank, right? We're really, this is most predominantly, concerning women, right? When a woman is old enough that, that a man can have sex with her and not fear repercussions from the law. And so uh, this goes back to an, a revised code in Ohio uh, that was passed uh, and made effective. Uh, it was section, sorry, uh, 2907.04, unlawful sexual conduct with a minor, made effective October 17th, 2000. Uh, so this would be the uh, House Bill 442 with the 123rd General Assembly. Um, and so this was, you know, it, this was codified or at least recodified as, as late as 2000, that a young girl of 16 uh, can give consent to uh, sexual intercourse um, with a partner. And so if you look at the age-related sex offenses in Ohio, uh, I'm drawing this from the Ohio Alliance to End sec, uh, Sexual Violence. Um, if you are 13 years of old and the suspect's age is 13 to 17, it is legal 
so long as the act wasn't forced, coerced, or the perpetrator was in a position of power over the victim, such as a teacher, coach, or parent, or guardian. 13 years of old. 14, same rule applies. 13 to 17. If you're 18 and older uh, and you have sex with a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old, or even a 15-year-old, then it is not legal, right? So at least we'll say that. But if you are 13 to 17, it's legal. However, once you turn 16 years of age, it is legal for the suspects aged 13 to 17 and anybody 18 or older uh, to have sex with the minor. A 16-year-old, right? Certainly a minor. And so, you know, who sets this law? Who makes up this uh, this law body that, that decides when a girl can give consent. Uh, I did a little digging and the Ohio general assembly for some demographics. Now this is the best that I could pull up, uh, in time for this number of members by gender. This covers 2003 to 2022. So granted the statute that I'm talking about was passed three years prior to this in 2000, but I think it's fair to say that if anything, gender representation in uh, the legislature would would more strongly favor men the earlier you go, right? I think that's a fair statement. Uh, so anyway, 2003 to 2022, uh, uh, you're looking at uh, a ratio of roughly 100 men to 25 to 30 women. This is who's representing the you know, who's, who's representing as lawmakers who are, who are creating and passing these bills. Uh, so this is a largely uh, a male and uh, uh, go on to, to, so this is a largely a white male legislative body that is deciding when it is legal to have sex with a 16 year old for which Pete Rose can suggest without any hint of remorse or irony that he is in the right girl was 16 in 1975. He was legal. Um, so this is, this is interesting, right? So on top of the lifetime ban of baseball for betting on games as a player manager, the Philadelphia Phillies organization and Major League Baseball allowed Pete Rose to participate in this celebration of the 1980 World Series team despite the fact that he was banned from the sport by the commissioner of baseball in 1989, and despite the fact that he admitted having sex with a 16-year-old in 1975. So, so much for the Me Too movement. Maybe we take two steps back after we've taken three steps forward. That seems to be the way things go. So, as I think about the, as we, as we roll into the second segment of the podcast, right? Who or what needs a platform? I think that this is pretty obvious, right? Who or what needs a platform here is the notion that white males, white men of privilege are passing laws dictating when it is legal or illegal to have sex with a 16 year old girl. And let's not discount the fact that as young as 13 years old, if you're 14 to 17, it's legal. 
I would be irate if a 17-year-old tried to do something with one of my 13-year-old kids. But it's legal in the state of Ohio. So let's let's bring that to light. Right? Let's think about these laws that are on the books that maybe we don't think about. You know, you probably don't think about what is the age of consent unless you have a child who's getting into their sexual uh awakened years. You don't think about the age of consent unless you worry about whether or not you are going to be held culpable for violating those rules. But I think the rest of us should know. And I think that this is a really important story that brings to light and deserves a platform. The fact that we live in a country where legislatures predominantly uh, ruled by older white men set laws like this that determine when or when uh, our young daughters and sons, right? But again, for the most part, what we're talking about is, is what happens with women. Uh, when they are capable of consenting to sex with somebody like Pete Rose, who is a Major League Baseball player for the Cincinnati Reds, eventually the hit king in Major League Baseball. No, there's no inherent coercion in that, right? A 16-year-old girl is not going to be in any way, shape, or form moved to make a decision that probably isn't as wise in light of the fact that this is one of the most famous men on the planet. So I think that that needs a platform this week. And so I wanted to raise that to our attention. And so with that, we're going to take a short break. And then we'll come back with segment three, in which I'll introduce the theme for the week. Weakness in strength. Welcome back to the next segment here. Uh, so the theme for this week is, well, the title of the episode is Weakness and Strength. And so the the theme is the irony of, <clears throat> excuse me, of this notion that in our weakness, we are strong. And this is a, a contextual thing that I need to kind of underline here uh, in, in a couple of different ways. So one in episode uh, one, I introduced the notion that I grew up in an evangelical background. Uh, and, you know, this is largely where, you know, from the Bible, uh, you know, certainly the Apostle Paul talks about, uh, so this is a guy, right, who's who's uh, traveling around and telling people about this Jesus guy. And uh, in exchange for that, he's getting beaten and thrown into prison and things like that. And so uh, remarkably, uh, you know, in that and in those tribulations, he's constantly saying things like, you know, in our weakness, we are made strong or in our weakness, God is strong or uses our weaknesses uh, for his purposes, right? Or for for the better. Um, and so for context, right? So there's the this theme grows out of kind of that that religious background and in the way that the themes of weakness and strength play together in that context. Um, Another thing that I want to introduce, and I hope to, well, I will probably be um, 
diving in and out of in future episodes because it's really kind of vital to the notion of the white man of privilege uh, is the is the notion of intersectionality, right? And um, this is something that uh, is brought up in a number of different places. Uh, I mentioned last week, uh, Glennon Doyle's We Can Do Hard Things podcast. I think this is something that they've addressed. Um, and it's something that I've covered uh, when talking about white privilege uh, with my students um, at the community college, particularly this last semester. So white privilege is a hard thing for whites to wrap their mind around because not all whites are in the same position in their life experiences and their life circumstances, right? So for example, if you talk about white privilege to uh, a white student who grew up in a trailer park, uh, who, you know, was struggling to make ends meet, uh, really has to kind of, you know, work hard, pay their own way for their education, kind of lift themselves up out of humble beginnings, right? The notion of privilege to somebody with that background, so a white person of that background can be if off-putting, if not outright offensive, right? They would say, and fairly so, what privilege do you think you're talking about here, right? I mean, have you lived my life? It's fair enough for you in this. And so I'm, I'm going to put on the hat of the offended uh, white youth here, uh, particularly within the context of my classes where I'm talking about white privilege and in relation to the lives of people of color uh, and whatnot. But what right have you to talk about privilege in your woke classroom here? You have no concept of my life, of what I've dealt with, what I've had to grow up uh, in. Uh, you know, and so they it's it's a it's a hard thing to to wrap their minds around, but that's where this notion of intersectionality comes into play, because there are intersections of privilege, right? So whiteness as one subject area of privilege, right, does not apply equally to all people who fall under that category of white. Certainly, white men have more privilege than white women. White women and white men of a uh, more wealthy social class have more privilege than those of a uh, lower social class, right? So there are a number of different layers to privilege that all fall within the broader umbrella of whiteness. The same thing would go for male privilege, right? And so patriarchy is something that we talk about both in American culture and in religious culture. Uh, and I think that it's fair to say that that was something that, you know, um, that's accepted. It, it might be dressed up differently, right? It, it might be um, rather than patriarchy, I, you know, the word is, is eluding me right now, but it's um, this notion of spheres, right? Women are are good at certain things, are, are designed for certain things, men for others, right? Their temperaments work differently, you know. Um, so anyway, um, there's certainly 
within that context some intersectionality. So a white man has more privilege than a black man, but a black man within a religious context might have more privilege than a white woman, right? Depending on where they are in the country, where they are in their uh, expression of religious faith. And so this notion of intersectionality is really kind of important to understanding white privilege and, and what we mean by this. And so when we talk about, or when I talk about today, this notion of, of weakness and strength or strength and weakness, and I'm using this within the context of, uh, you know, coming out of this, this religious language, um, there's some intersectionality at play here. Um, experiences might be different. So I just want to put that out there, right, as a con kind of a contextual um, envelope to kind of wrap around this thing. But uh, so where I'm getting with this, and this stems a bit from the Pete Rose story earlier uh, and from some other things, but so, you know, such as my personal experience and many men's personal experience with the objectification of women in American culture. In fact, let's go so far as to say the objectification of women globally, historically, forever since the beginning on men, right? Um, women have constantly been objectified as sexual objects. Uh, we've just gotten super good at it in American society because of our ability to uh, craft images through advertising and, and different forms of media to really exaggerate these things. But anyway, um, there's this there's this obvious and, and no need to really be underscored or overstated reality of the objectification of women in our culture. We live in a time period when uh, what we're finally starting to see is some of that coming home to roost, right? Some of those chickens coming home to roost. We've, we've had uh, massive sex scandals with the Catholic Church, although some of that isn't strictly men, women, right? Some of that is, is more pedophile in its expression, uh, you know, which is, 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 terrible and really hard to, to wrap our minds around. But then more recently, right, we've, we've got the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, sex scandal uh, and the study that, that demonstrated a lot of abuse there. And there's some really powerful people commenting on that, uh, such as Kristen Kobes Dumay. Uh, so I'm not going to get overly into the weeds with that. But what I would like to, to investigate with that is something that's really Astounding. So within this larger evangelical culture, and I, I can't speak for black evangelical evangelical culture. I mean, I've studied a bit. Uh, I've visited a church here and there. Uh, I don't live in that culture. I can't speak for it. I do have, um, I think, fair uh, assumptions that there's quite a bit of patriarchy involved in that expression of faith as well. Uh, and so that intersectionality plays. But largely what I'm talking about is the white uh, male evangelical culture um, that I'm familiar with, and which is a, a very dominant voice in our society today. It's not dominant in terms of overall numbers. I think that that's something that we 
sometimes can be fooled by due to the size of the megaphone that they carry in popular culture and in political culture today. Um, but it is right. It is largely a, a dominant expression. And so this, this patriarchal expression of evangelicalism will often, uh, focus on, uh, you know, the strength of the need for the strong man, right? The head of the household, the leader, the protector, right? A big reason why we have such a problem with rampant gun culture within a religious expression in which the leader and founder of the faith, Jesus said to turn the other cheek and let him strike the other side. The reason that we have so much of this machismo in evangelical culture. I just really wanted to say machismo because that's that's a fun word to say. Machismo. Anyway, uh, there is a, 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 a preponderance of this, the the characterization, the, the embodiment of the strong white male, right? He is, he is the embodiment of strength. He's the leader. He's this, he's, you know, it's men, 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 we're going to go on our men's retreat and we're going to shoot guns and we're going to eat pounds of bacon and we're going to wrestle and we're going to, you know, maybe host a MMA party and glorify all that is strength, right? Um, and, you know, as flippant as you think I might be being right now, I bet that hits home a little bit if you identify in that expression of faith. I bet if you're honest with yourself, you can say, yeah, there's something to that. I think that there is, I think that's a fair assessment of, of the culture. And it stems from that patriarchal expression. And it stems from an overemphasis on the warrior God of the Old Testament, of the warrior tribes of Israel, of the conquest of Canaan, of of all of these things, of David, right? The archetypical Jewish king who was the warrior king, whose hands were so bloody, God didn't let him build the temple that had to be his son, Solomon, right? But there is this, we are strong and we have to be strong. And it is how we were created to be strong. And women were created to be cared for by us, to be taken, to be put under our wing, they are gentle, they are fragile. But at the same time, women are the stumbling block of the mighty man. Bathsheba, who tempted King David, right, and caused him to commit adultery and kill Bathsheba's uh, husband uh, by sending him to the front of the war and making her his own, right? That was her fault because she decided to take a bath on the roof, which is where they take the baths in that time period, right? So it was it was this strong man and his, his weakness. Or let's go way back to Adam and Eve, the first man created in the image of God. But the woman looks at the fruit, takes a bite of the fruit, says to the dude, hey man, why don't you have a bite of this apple? It's freaking awesome. And he's looking at her and obviously, right, she's seducing him. And he says, all right, I'll eat this apple. 
because you're looking freaking sexy today. And so she causes him to stumble. She is the bane of his existence. And you can see how women throughout biblical history, throughout um, the way that they're constructed, right? They are the thorn in the side of the strong man because of their sexual wiles, because of their seductive way. And so what we have to do to protect the big, bad, strong man is to develop a purity culture where we say of these women, you know, it's probably not a great idea for you to wear shorts or a tank top because that could cause your brother to stumble. And if you cause your brother to stumble, then he's going to make a decision. Well, he's not really going to make the decision, right? He's going to get sucked in by the by the seductory power of your of your shoulders uh, into a potential problem with pornography, with lust. I was driving down, I think ninety four between Michigan and and Illinois when I was on the way to the funeral, and there's a big billboard. There's tons of these right now. Uh, you know, uh, they'll, they'll list the sin and then they'll say, choose the Bible or whatever. But there was like, give up lust. Right. And, and, um, and choose God. And actually I will say that that's probably, I probably prefer that message, right? The notion that, yeah, you can actually do that guys. You actually are conscious beings with choice guys you can decide yeah i'm not going to do that but in our strengthness our, our sorry our strength right we are weak because these women are a thorn in our side they are the plank in our eye that would prevent us from pulling the speck of sawdust from your eye i'm using all kinds of religious language today so if you're not from the Protestant, evangelical, or perhaps even Catholic um, upbringing. This, some of this might go over your head. So please feel free to contact me again, wimp.podcast at gmail.com with your questions, and I'd love to have a dialogue with you. Or if you'd like to challenge anything that I'm throwing at you, same difference. Shoot me that email. Um, but what's interesting, right, is though we are strong, we're going to outsource our weaknesses on these scapegoats, these women, right? We're supposed to be strong. Pardon the uh, the notification there for my laptop. Um, though we are supposed to be strong, we have this inherent weakness, this inability to say no to lust, right? And so we, rather than recognize that weakness in us, rather than recognize that it is white men who have dominated culture, and men in particular throughout the world have dominated culture in patriarchies as far back as time goes, who have set up societies that objectify women, who have found ways to profit off of the objectification of women, who have found ways to create immense capitalistic empires on the justification, or I'm sorry, on the objectification of women. We've created this mess, but we are not strong enough to say no.
And so we outsource our weakness onto the woman. And we say, you know, this is your fault that we are strong, that we are weak in this moment, right? We're not weak. You are pulling a fast one on us. You are causing us to stumble. And so we blame you. And we ask you to embrace a purity culture. We expect you, at the same time, to abide by laws in which we decide at 16 you are capable of saying, yeah, I'll have sex with you, Mr. Pete Rose, hit king of Major League Baseball. There's an intense irony in this. And this is part of the privilege of what it is to be a man, that we can take this immense and tragic shortcoming and in an effort to build walls around our strength, outsource our weakness onto the failings, quote unquote, of women to live proper lives, to live modest lives, to support their men in the way that they need to be supported. And as a white man of privilege today, listener, I am calling bullshit on that. We are beings of conscious choice, and we have created a society in which we hyper-masculinize these men. We take all weakness and we outsource it to the others, to the oppressed, whether it be women, people of color, immigrants, the downtrodden, for our own benefit, for our own maintenance of power, prestige, for our own ability to get a standing ovation at a baseball stadium, for a World Series that we took part in 40-some years ago, even though we even though we would take the innocence and the purity of somebody as young as 16 years old and justify that because of our privilege. I'm going to take another break, and then we'll come back and wrap it up. All right, last segment for this show. There's been a lot. This one's gone a little bit long, so I'm not going to belabor this. We're not going to do Beats with B this week. Uh, Brian and I didn't get a chance to get together before this episode came together. And I'm frankly still working out how to get the music technically to fit in here with the software that I'm using. So uh, that is coming down the road. Uh, so look forward to that Beats with B. It's going to be a really good segment. Um, but I just want to kind of send us out uh, this week with some encouragement, some words of affirmation. This has been a humdinger of a heavy episode. Uh, so um, I do want to say that there are others out there who are waking up, who are realizing a new a new consciousness in which uh, we don't have to be in charge anymore. We don't have to exploit people anymore. We don't need to impress uh, 
or oppress people anymore. There are other white men of privilege. I believe there's a guy named Kyle who called in to We Can Do Hard Things on Glenn and Doyle's show expressing the same. I know there's more of you out there. Some of you are my friends that I've had conversations with. Women, I would like you to know that we are out there and that we are committed to building a better world for you and for all of those that have suffered under uh, the hubris of the white man of privilege. Uh, the The arc of the universe bends towards justice. For every rainy, cloudy, stormy day, the sun comes back out and dries the rain, dries our tears. We're in for better days. It feels rough right now. feels like we're in a period of darkness right now. But know that there are people out there fighting. There are people out there with more love in their hearts than they have a need for power. So go on out there. Make the world a better place than what you found And maybe next week, I'll tell you one of my poop stories. And you'll be crying, laughing. And that'll make your day. I'm going to leave that hanging. No pun intended. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Wimp.podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a message, I'd love to hear from you. And there is a lot in this episode. I would sure love to hear from some folks and chew on this a little bit more. Have a great great week, everybody. Take care.